what's amazing about uh, this week, we're going to look at uh, the letters written by Paul. And if you are far from God and feel like I am too far for God to want me or to reach me or to change me, think again. If you have someone in your life that is far from God and you're discouraged about how far they are, maybe even antagonistic to truth, don't be discouraged. And if you see people in our culture who are antagonistic to the faith, to Christianity, to God's word, stay strong and stay encouraged. Why? Because of the person we're looking at. The Apostle Paul, we first meet him, his name was Saul. I think Pastor Shane talked about him last weekend. Saul was raised in the Jewish faith, uh, Judaism. It was a very legalistic faith. And, and people who were Jews in the New Testament times that did not follow Christ believed that Christ was a fraud. And so Saul made it his part. He was one of the ruling class of the Jewish culture. He was called a Pharisee. They had hundreds of laws that were both written and oral. They memorized them. They lived by them. They wore it as a badge of honor, if you will. And Saul took it upon himself to destroy this new sect of believers named after Christ. He persecuted people. He had them imprisoned, beaten, whipped, and even executed. In fact, Stephen, the first martyr, was at the hands of Saul. He has a life-changing conversion. Christ strikes him down. He has a vision of Jesus Christ. He's blinded for a short period of time. And he changes from Saul to Paul. And he is now St. Paul, who is the founder of most New Testament church. And Paul, this former persecutor of faith, uh, has written 13 of 27 New Testament books. I don't know about you, that's quite a spiritual hero in my eyes. So we're going to focus on Paul's letters today. And uh, just to kind of take us back in time, because it wasn't written just yesterday, but a couple thousand years ago almost, um, I'll take you back via experience. In 2019, several of us from CLC went on a trip to Turkey. You might say, why'd you go on a tour in Turkey? Well, we'll end the series in the book of Revelation, and the first three chapters are letters to churches, written by the Apostle John, to seven churches. Uh, and there are seven churches, most of those Paul founded, and they are, they are existing, those cities exist in what is now modern-day Turkey. And so we went and visited the ruins of those seven cities of the churches in Revelation in Turkey, and Ephesus blew my mind. I had not seen ancient excavations like this before. I've seen them, obviously, pictures and photographs and videos, but it was amazing to see. So I just have three quick shots from Ephesus. The first one uh, is kind of like in a, this is a hillside, like, group of townhouses. They're all connected together of wealthy people. This is looking down on them from above the excavation. Look at each different room has a different mosaic tile in it. 2,000 years old. Just incredible for me. The next shot shows Main Street of Ephesus going down, and the, you see the remaining columns there. There is obviously extensive structures. You get down to the end, it's going to sort of the town square. And the next shot is, uh, that's our son Jonathan, and that is the library, uh, what they could piece together of it. And I'm like down there thinking, how in the world do they get those tons of massive rocks, like 50 feet up in the air, just without, you know, cranes and modern machinery. So just incredible. So take yourself back to then, all right? We're, we're at that time, and the words are timeless because they're still true for us today. Uh, but when we look at this, if you have the, the CLC app, you can follow along. First question I want to start with is, what do you tell yourself, and what do you believe in hard times? Understand that when Paul is writing these letters, as uh, the other authors, Peter, James, John, and Jude, uh, he's trying to communicate to people what to believe, what to think, 
and how to live. And uh, there is a growing cloud of persecution and of confusion beginning to hover over this young church. Persecution, Paul helped to bring that in. Uh, and then confusion. As we get to, to Colossians, uh, in the city of Colossae, that was known for their philosophers, and there was a philosophy called Gnosticism that was based on mysterious knowledge. And so all this, is, Paul's trying to help parse that out so they know what to believe, what to think, and how to live. So let's go, first of all, to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I will uh, admit to you, and if you've been here long, you will know it without me saying it. This is absolutely one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And it means a lot to me. And so I'm going to ask you to read it out loud, all right, with a sense of enthusiasm. And you also know how annoying I am. I think you read better standing up, but I'll let you stay seated if you read it good, all right? So ready? Let's go ahead and read this out loud. For I am... Man, I need that verse. I've been serving Christ for over a half a century, and I'm thankful I'm not who I was, but I still have such a long way to go. Do you ever doubt yourself or get down on yourself or feel insecure or get aggravated with who you're not? And then this verse kind of comes to mind, but I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. As a person of God, as a, as a family man, as a leader, it's like, okay, God, you're still working on me. And so we are all, as Christians, a work in process. Good news, bad news, God never says, ah, you're done. None of you have arrived yet, in case you thought you did. And if you're sitting next to someone that you think thinks they've arrived, give them a nudge right now, all right? So we're a work in process, but that's actually encouraging because, man, that verse became real to me decades ago when I was drowning in insecurity and it's like the Holy Spirit brought this to me and a verse out of 1 Peter. And so, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk in confidence in you. And then Paul models for us a, a biblical mindset. When you read Scripture, ask yourself, what is it saying? What is the worldview? What do I need to pick up on here? What are the nuances here? And if you'll adopt this mindset, boy, life goes I believe, just so much better. It's easier to cope with all the craziness in that he's debating in the first chapter of Philippians, you know, I'd just soon die and go to heaven. I'd be better off. But if I stay here, I can do more work for Christ. And, and he, he concludes in uh, Philippians 121, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm, and he says, I'm hard pressed. I don't know which I'd choose. And it reminds me, when I was a teenager, back in the Jesus People days, uh, the, one of the first Christian rockers was Larry Norman. He had an album called Only Visiting This Planet. As a Christ follower, that's what we're doing. We're just visiting. It's just temporary. This world is not my home. If you want to go back to some of the old hymns. And so hold life loosely. Be thankful for all that it has and all that it brings. But, but we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And then in Philippians chapter 3, there's a really important lesson in here. And some of you, this is the whole reason you're here. God wants to drill this into your heart. God wants to shift your thinking or where you're at right now. And uh, let me kind of unpack it in verse 10. He says, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his, what's the next word? Sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let me stop there for a second. Suffering is part of the Christian experience. Our Savior suffered. 
He guaranteed us in the Gospel of John, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And anyone who tries to preach to you that once you become a Christian, everything goes great and there's always a breakthrough and there's always whatever, they're just not preaching Scripture because there is suffering in our walk with Christ, both suffering for the cause of Christ and there is suffering in life, so I want to suffer in a way that honors Christ. And boy, he, he is the God of all comfort, the Bible says, and so we can take comfort in that. And then he says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, but one thing I do, say one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on, say I press on. He repeats it, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Some of you here today, I don't know who it's for in particular, all of us, but in particular, some of you need a better perspective on your past. Some of you, when it comes to your past, it's like back here and you can't stop thinking about it and feeling whatever you feel about it and living there, whether it's the glory days or whether it's what somebody did to you or how badly you messed up or whatever, and it just totally defines you and confines you. And there are three things you're supposed to do with your past. And to make this point, I need your help. So would everybody that can, please stand, all right? Just stand up with me for just 90 seconds. And I want you to kind of let somebody have it with, this, with, your, with your pointer, okay? So uh, the first thing we do with our past is learn from it. Go on, do it. Oh, some of you are pointing at each other. I like that. That was rhetorical, but okay. Then let them have number two. Be thankful for it. And the third one takes two hands. Forget about it. Ready? Learn from it. Be thankful for it. Forget about it. Okay, now online, you're not exempt from this. Would you please stand at home, all right, wherever you are. If you're driving, please pull over, okay? You shouldn't be watching and driving anyway, all right? So I want everybody now to turn around. Look, your past is behind you. Turn around, face your past. Go on, all right? And I want you to point out, go ahead and that, that camera there with the red light, that means that's the one that's showing right now online. So we're going to point at all of our friends at home who should not be looking because you should have your back to the TV or whatever screen you're looking at, okay? Ready? Number one, learn from it. Be thankful for it. Two hands, forget about it. One more time, learn from it. Be thankful for it. Forget about it. All right, give yourself a hand. That was good. Have a seat. I mean, do that. And some of you who are so bound and st stop it. You don't live with your past anymore anyway. You live with what you tell yourself about your past. And for those of you that it is, it is very defeating or painful, ask God, give me a redemptive interpretation of my past so I can learn from it, be thankful, if nothing else, I survived it, and then forget about it because, because God laid hold of you for a reason. He's got a purpose for you. And then uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, think of Ephesus. He says, uh, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us with which he loved us. He's showing us the theology there. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, we didn't even know we needed a Savior. He made us alive together with Christ, parentheses, by grace you have been saved. He's going to drill that in over. It's not legalism. It's not, you know, being good enough. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The fact that he says we're seated with Christ 
heavenly places. As far as I can tell, I'm not in heavenly places yet. All right? So that's looking forward to Jesus. And when you're seated in Scripture, you remember what that means. It means the work is finished. There's coming a day when what he's doing is finished in us. All right? So that in the ages to come, again, look forward to Jesus. In the ages to come, look forward to Jesus. He might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Did you get that? Over and over, he's trying to tell these people they're coming out of Judaism, a real legalistic faith. You don't get to heaven by being a good person. One of the biggest fallacies in our culture was well, so that when you die, you think there's more to that? Yeah. You think there's a heaven and hell? Yeah. You're going to go to heaven? Yeah. Why? Because I'm a good person. Wrong answer. It's a perfect place, not a good place. All those good people will ruin it if we get to the perfect place. By grace, you're saved through faith. I had a neighbor, and uh, he came on down with MS, and Joyce and I would go over and help him with different projects and landscaping and whatnot. And, and, uh, and over time, he got a little worse in his condition. And, and I remember numerous times I'd be walking down my driveway to go across the street to our house, and he would yell out, you know, you're going to have a great place up there because of all the good things you do. I would always stop. I would turn and say, Joe, how many times I got to tell you, it's not what you do, it's who you know. <laughs> it's how you get into heaven. It's not what you do. You can't possibly do something good enough to get into heaven. It's who you know. You have to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. For we are His workmanship. Say His workmanship. Creating Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. One of the coolest things about being a Christian is a life full of purpose. And, and before you became a Christian, God had plans for you. And once you accepted Christ, okay, now let's walk in that. And if you're like, well, I don't see anything to walk in, well, then you're just not looking and listening because he has something for you to do. All, and we're the church, but there's a ton of people out of, what, six or 700,000 people in greater Dayton, all the different counties, they'll never come to church. There's loads of people in your world who will never sit here and hear anything. But when we leave, then the church goes to them. And so... Whether it is where you work, where you live, where you go to school, where your kids go to school, where you play, where your kids play, where you shop, whatever, that's your Jerusalem, all right? And, and Jesus said, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And so he has good works, good things for you to do in all those places so that you shine your light to other people. So on the count of three, I want you to say one of those places, whether you say your street or where you work, your employer, your school, right? One, one, two, three. There is where you are supposed to do those good works that you were created to accomplish. And then the Colossians. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. It's code word there. Because Gnostic philosophers were big in mysteries. And well, you can't understand, it's a mystery, whatever. And they would graduate to different levels of consciousness. Not quite like Buddhism, but that kind of a mentality. And so he's saying the mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I still can't fully explain that mystery. But something happened when I accepted Christ as my Savior. The Bible says the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. I believe that Christians should be the most optimistic people on the planet. I'm going to say that one more time, and I'm going to have a real big amen. I believe Christians should be the most optimistic people on the planet. Because we have Christ in us. 
It's not the hope of this world, the hope of the United States, the hope of whatever. It is the hope of glory. And then uh, we go on to, oh, and before I leave that, I asked you, what do you say to yourself and what do you believe in hard times, right? And in Philippians, I didn't even go to where Paul says in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all. The Lord is near. I didn't go there, but, but you might say, well, it's easy for Paul to write all this stuff. He's an apostle. Yeah, well, when he's writing Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, theologians call that the prison epistles because he's in prison. And he's saying, I am confident of this very thing. He's not, oh, I'm in prison. I guess God's all done with me. No, I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in me while I'm sitting here in this rotten prison cell will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. In some, God, some of the letters, he even says, remember my chains. And we're talking no sanitation, no running water, no electricity, dank, smelly, I mean, dirty, rat-infested, whatever. And Paul's saying, hey, and by the way, rejoice in the Lord always. By grace you're saved by faith. You've got a purpose you are saved for, even though I can't see that purpose. And for those of you who are in a prison season in life, and some of you are, some of you are where you never thought you'd be. Some of you things are going from bad to worse. Some of you feel trapped and you can't get out. You see no solutions in sight. I'm here to tell you, Paul would say, well, you know, when I was in that place, I decided to rejoice in the Lord always because he's faithful. Second point, we see a lot of Paul doing mentoring and valuing one another. And a verse that kind of is, a, is a, an assumption that sets a good baseline is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, but to each one, say that includes me. He's talking to Christians here. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All of us have spiritual gifts. Not all of them. There's a couple dozen of them. And all of us have one, two, three of them, a couple few. I don't have all of them because then I'd be self-sufficient but I need the gifts you have, you need the gifts I have, and when we use them together, it's a beautiful, powerful thing. Valerie Braswell has the gift of serving, among other things. In fact, the gift of serving is the most common gift in the body of Christ because that's the, what's needed the most. And uh, we are talking before the breakfast started, and somehow I was talking about, man, I wish we could keg like a coffee cart in the courtyard and whatnot. She goes, I'd be happy to do that. Bam, let's do it. And so... She's not here now because she was here first service, but here's the Valerie Braswell, okay? So, and she served, and we got to, to benefit from it. There are people right now who are using their gifts to minister to your children or grandchildren or whatever uh, about 200 feet south of here, all right, in our kids' building. And so we, we use gifts together for the body of Christ. How many of you uh, have done the meal pack? All right, most of us. Each year we send about 600,000 meals to our partners in Africa and it takes about 1,500 volunteers and Christina Clark and her team organize 1,500 volunteers, tons of rice over three days. Just, it's an amazing work and she has the gift of administration. How many of you like, you really like spreadsheets and checklists? Let me see. Be proud, all right? You probably have the gift of administration. And boy, I, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness and unrighteousness. So when I do righteous things, there is that attaboy, girl feeling. I mean, when you pack the meal pack, I don't have to tell you, you walk away feeling so good. Why do you feel so good? Because that's the Holy Spirit saying, well done, way to go. 
And so, boy, I'm always, when we're, we're doing me a pick, I'll always find Christina because she's been to Africa. And I say, you know what? You have got the gift of administration like few people I know. Look at what God's doing through your gift, helping save lives and help all of us serve. So we've all got spiritual gifts. If you don't know what yours are, go through Growth Track. There's a tool in there to help you figure that out. But begin to experiment in serving together with us because we're more complete when you do. All right. In uh, Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles. And uh, Merrill Tenney wrote in, uh, in, a, in a survey of the New Testament, the general tone of the pastoral epistles reveals a church that was fighting for its life against the malicious jealousy of a frustrated Judaism and against the corrupt indifference of a decadent paganism. Paul, the representative of the passing generation of missionary pioneers, was delegating his responsibilities to younger and more vigorous assistants like Titus and Timothy. So in Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. Again, he's saying, stir it up. You've got a gift. If you don't know what it is, discover it. Use it. But I want to back up to that first part of that verse, let no one look down your youthfulness. I remember when uh, Joyce and I came here and joined CLC in 1983. Is anybody, whoever's 26, would you stand? 26-year-olds, just stand up. Anybody exactly 26? All right, good. There, stay, stay standing. Be proud, all right? 26, 26, 26. Anybody else? 26. Anybody else? Exactly 26. All right. Give it up. Stay standing. All right. Get a good look at them. All right. I was that old when we came here. <laughs> Time has not been kind. All right. <laughs> but I was their age. And I was across from the business administrator and the assistant pastor. I had training in both. And you guys can be seated, but thank you very much. All right. For illustrating. Um, and so I'm 26, Joyce is 24, we come here, and our first weekend was the last weekend of my predecessor in this role, and so the second weekend we're here, my predecessor taught a class, and so the previous pastor said, okay, you're going to teach that class, and it was called the Harvester's class. Any Harvester's class alumni by any chance? I had one last service. Anyways, and, and in those days, like two-thirds of the adults went to Sunday school, and so we'd have Sunday school one hour, and then we'd have service the other hour. And so the Harvester's class in a little brochure was for people aged 35 to 55. Anybody else do the math? 26. I'm like nine years too young for this, okay? And sure enough, uh, <laughs> there were some people in the class that weren't happy that a kid was teaching them. And uh, so I'm doing, I'm, I don't know what the subject was. Uh, Jeannie Bowers saw me afterwards in, in the courtyard. She goes, I was in that first class. I thought it was great. So I'm teaching my heart out. And then I'm doing the, the Q&A time, all right? So I turn around to my chalkboard. And if you don't know what chalk is, Google it. You can, you can find out, all right? Uh, and I'm writing. And, and as I'm writing, I realize, because they're just firing questions at me. I'm like, you know what? They're going to see what this kid knows. So I'm praying, dear God, give me the words to say, all right? And this came to my mind. Let no one look down your youthfulness. Uh, God, some of our biggest heroes in Scripture are under 30, under 20. And so regardless of your age. And some great heroes are, are over 70. And so wherever you're, if you're, if you're still, if you're, if you're here, God's not done with you, or he's barely started, depending on where you're at in the age range. 
And then a verse that's not on the screen, but I want to just emphasize it because we're such an intergenerational church. And it was so fun watching kids out there in the courtyard in the playground today if we opened it up a couple weeks ago. Uh, but he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I'm mindful of the sincere faith that's within you, that dwelt in your grandmother, and then your mom, and I'm sure it's in you as well. You cannot inherit your faith, but parents, grandparents, you can pass along understanding of Christ and God's word and, and kind of grease the skids for your kids to also then come to that place of knowing Christ. And again, he says, for this reason, reason I remind you, kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Over and over and over again, there is a reminder to Christians then, there's a reminder to Christians now, God has called you, saved you for a purpose. You are to live, as Rick Warren calls it, a purpose-driven life. It is, and when you find that, as you discover that, there's a sense of fulfillment you don't get anywhere else. All right, and then Titus, uh, I'll just share with you, you can see some housekeeping kinds of things that Paul does. It's very administrative in its approach, in part of it. And he's talking about pastors that he called overseers. And he's kind of getting into job description things. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, that's easily argumentative, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so he'll be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And those are some of the characteristics, both character quality, skill sets. And I can tell you from experience that being able to uh, refute those who contradict, there is growing opposition to the message of this book in our culture. And it is important to be able to deal with that and to equip the saints with that. Um, but it's been around. So as you see an increase of what uh, John calls the spirit of Antichrist increasing in our culture, don't panic. The church has always had to deal with that. As you see persecution welling up in different parts of the world, pray for them, be concerned, but don't panic because the church has thrived through that and, and, and we persevere through that. And then I talked about he mentors and talks about valuing others. And I don't have time to go through one another's, but there are over 40 instances where the Bible in the New Testament talks about how people in church are to treat one another. So if you promise to do really good, we'll stay seated, all right? But when I point to you, here's your line, okay? One another. Good, try again. Just for fun. All right, we're good. All right, here we go. So while I'll point to you, you say one another. Love. Give preference to. Build up, accept, serve, be patient with, be kind to, do not lie to, abound in love for, live in peace with, encourage, buy lunch for. <laughs> but we're to be us. That's why we did the breakfast last week. That's why we have the courtyard. So now the courtyard is not open after service, but come early next week. Grab a cup of coffee, meet somebody you don't know, let your kids play in a playground, whatever. But there is that one another that is meant to be contagious among us and we care for each other. And then finally, one of the key themes, I believe, of Paul's writings is hope. And when I started putting this message together, I had eight pages of Scripture. I had to, I had to narrow it down because Paul's one of my favorites, but so much in there. So I'm going to read for you rapid fire a mini sermonette that is some of the most hopeful scripture 
Paul wrote it all in the book of Romans. So if you want these references, they're not all in, in your notes in the app. You can go back, you can go to clcdayton.com and go back to this message and rewind to here and, and jot them down. It's Romans 1.16, that'll be on the screen. Then 323, 5.8, 6.23, 8.18, 8.28, 8.31 through 37. Listen to this. Open your heart and your spirit and your mind to be encouraged by this and what Paul writes. First he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, to those who love him. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will we not also with him freely give us all things? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it's written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long, considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Christ who loved us. What an amazing letter and word of hope. And one of the greatest look forward to Jesus messages that is in the New Testament, Paul writes, and I'll close the message with this. And at the end of this, we're going we're gonna to transition to a song uh, that just celebrates the goodness of God. And then this passage here, what happens next once we're in heaven is what theologians call the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll read about it in Revelation. Jesus talked about it in Matthew. And so we're going to close the service after this song with communion. And if you didn't get your elements, if you'd raise your hand now, sexually as well, you look around, um, and we'll make sure we get those to you. So if you didn't get your communion elements, raise your hand real quick. Almost everybody did. Wonderful. All right. If you need it, keep it up. Wave it a little higher, and they'll get it to you. Let me read for you one of the most encouraging, supernatural, clearest explanations of what's going to happen, I believe, soon, if you understand end times. This is to the church of Thessalonica. It's not symbolic language. It's not something you have to figure out what does it mean in the context of things like Revelation with the real, you know, uh, hidden illustrations or Ezekiel trying to interpret it. This is just plain speak. We're looking forward to Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have died, so you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you do say amen, amen. even so God will bring with him those who have died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Let me stop and explain that. So when we die, our spirit, our, our soul abandons our body. We are absent from the body, and it's just a shell. We bury that body, and our spirit and our soul go to be with Christ. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But God created us initially body persons, so someday he's going to reunite our spirit and our soul with a glorified body, and once again we'll be together in a, in a whole new dimension for eternity. 
So those who are with him in spirit, they will come. All right, there's going to be a time that the Heavenly Father says, Son, it's time. Rustle them up. And so the heavenly host and all the dearly departed will come. And then he says that those who are alive and remain will be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So the dead in Christ rise first, their bodies, their bodies reconnected with their soul and their spirit. And then before we can say, what's that? We go up and we will always be with the Lord, he says. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Look forward to Jesus. When it feels helpless, when it feels overwhelming, when it looks scary and the world looks out of control, you just know that there is coming a time when Christ is going to fulfill the promise that he made to his disciples at the Last Supper where he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I will come again that you will be with me. Well, that's him coming again, and it can be any day. And so we celebrate an amazing God, a good God. And so stand with us before we take communion and let's sing about the goodness of God.